do you think it's important to uh, important that we do what we say? Do you think it's an important thing that we do what we say? I'm going to start today with a bit of a quick quiz. I'm going to give you some situations, and I want you to kind of judge whether you think actually that's kind of a good or a bad thing. So I'm going to give you there's kind of three ways you can point. If I give you the situation and you don't like it at all, you point that way, not impressed. Point over to that wall, say no, not impressed with that. If you think, oh, that's all right, actually, maybe point that way. And if it's somewhere in the middle thinking, ah, it's probably not a good thing, but I kind of understand, straight up in the air. Okay, does that make sense? So here's here's the first situation. Uh, A friend agrees to go to the cinema with you, uh, but at the last minute they cancel, and then it turns out they go out with other people instead. They kind of get a better offer, they cancel. How do you feel about that? Oh, that's pretty universal. Uh, No one's impressed with that. It's not fun, is it, when you get stood up and you're looking forward to something like that. It's not a good thing. What about this one? Someone is always talking about their concern for the environment. They're they're, they're a proper eco-warrior, but actually it turns out that they don't really do anything about it. They're lazy with their recycling, they just chuck it all in the bin, Uh, they fly all around the world, they use loads of energy, Uh, they buy lots of new clothes, new gadgets, they do whatever they like. What do you think? Impressed, not impressed? Oh, interesting. There you go. So uh, there's a few kind of, kind kind of, you know, maybe understand that a little bit. There we go. Uh, Here's a big one. Lockdown parties. (laughs) The government told us to stay at home. And not see anyone else, and it turns out that some in, the, in uh, Parliament, and that's the thing, we're ignoring those rules and meeting others. What do we think? <laughs> bit, of, bit of both, but mostly not impressed with that, are we? What about some maybe more Christian scenarios? So, uh, I know you know of a Christian who goes to Christian Union, or a Christian at work, and actually you see them living their life, and they go out and they regularly get drunk. They regularly get drunk. Uh, what do you think? What, what, what do you think in, in that scenario uh, of someone like that? There's a, there's a few kind of, you know, a bit, bit of both, but perhaps not, not that. It's not a good thing, is it? It's not a good, good setting, a good example. Uh, here's another one. Um, we know the example, we know how important it is don't we, to be welcoming as a church. We want to welcome people really. Uh, it's a really important thing. We, we talk about how vital it is we welcome people. But then someone comes through the door and they smell really, really bad. Okay? Like, a sort of, you get, the smell hits you, you're like, oh. And instead of welcoming them, you think, find something else to do. I'm going to go and speak to someone else. Do anything else except for welcome that person. What do you think about that? Where would, where would you put someone on that scale? I think I'll probably go a bit diagonal on that one, maybe, you know. It's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? But, but we're called to be welcoming, but actually sometimes we find it hard. Or, or maybe we come across someone who's in real desperate need, uh, and maybe we, we know we've got time, we've got something, we can do something to help, but actually all we do is say, I'll pray for you, uh, and then actually we don't help them, and in the end we forget to pray. So where do you think, where do you think uh, you'd, you'd be on that scale? A lot of people going this way, isn't it? That's, that's funny how, how I've put those things. There we go. One more, okay. You, there's someone who looks really good at church, but actually it turns out that they're struggling with whatever the biggest struggle of sin is in your life. 
Okay, so your, your personal struggle with sin, whatever that is, the thing you struggle with most, anger, greed, pride, lust, and anything like that, they look good on Sunday, but actually they're struggling with that. What do you think? What would you say? That's a bit trickier, isn't it? That's a bit trickier. Maybe we start going, oh, I kind of understand that one, don't we? Or, you know, that's a bit that. It's kind of easy, isn't it, I think, to judge other people for being hypocritical. Hypocrites are when you sort of say one thing and then you do something else. But it's much trickier, isn't it, when it's closer to home, when it's something that we struggle with as well. And I started by asking these questions because I think probably one of the easiest ways that we can be hypocritical as Christians is to kind of stress the importance of preaching the gospel of the truth, but then not actually backing it up with what we do, with what we do. And that's why the final part of our mission statement as a church is so important. It's there at the end there, doing good, doing good. If you've not been in the the sermons recently, if you've been out of Pathfinders or anything like that, we've been looking at this mission statement for the last uh, half term or so as a church. Uh, If you're not sure why each bit is so important, ask your parents. Test them out later today. Why is each of these bits so important? See see what they can remember uh, from this series. But we've reached doing good. And I guess it it makes sense, doesn't it? It sounds like it's something important that's right for us to put in our mission statements. We, We talk about telling the gospel. We understand how amazing it is to know Jesus, to hear of his love and his grace. That, that he shows us despite our sin, despite our hypocrisy. He forgives us, he saves us. It's such good news. And if we've been shown love like that, then surely we think we've got to love other people. Show that love to others as well. That's what we're called to do. Called to do. Actually, Paul prayed that in 1 Thessalonians. We, we, we looked at that book earlier in the year. 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. That was his prayer. Your love will increase for each other as a church family, but also for everyone else, the world around us, all, everyone, even those who hate us. We're called to love them, we're called to do good to them. What does that mean? What does it mean to to do good? Maybe you can get some ideas from this, uh, this booklet when you grab one at the end. It means living like God wants, doesn't it? It means obeying his commands. It's being kind and loving and generous to those around us, doing it properly, showing it, taking meals to to a neighbour who's struggling, giving generously to good causes, maybe sacrificing time you'd normally spend on yourself or on your family, doing something for your own benefit. Instead of doing that, it's volunteering, doing doing good for others, pursuing justice maybe for those in need. There's lots of things, but actually what we see in our passage today It gives us the reason why doing good is so important. It's so important. And and the key verse is verse 12. Uh, And really the headline is this, that we should be known for doing good. We should be known for doing good. Look at verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. If you look at verse 15, it says something similar. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Let's just unpack this verse for a couple of minutes. It's very clear. Peter says you should live good lives. You should live for God. You should be kind, generous, loving. You should show grace. You should sacrifice yourself for others. 
And you see where we should do that. Do you see what it says? Among the pagans. It's not a word we use very much. It's basically a word that means non-Christians, people who do not believe in Jesus. Now, at the time, uh, these people in, at the time would be accusing Christians of not doing uh, what they did, of not believing the right things. Actually, if you can go ahead in, in 1 Peter, look at chapter 4, verse 4, and it says this, They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. You see, Christians were living differently. They were teaching different things. They were doing different things. And they were not being treated well. They were being abused because of that. Doesn't sound that unfamiliar, does it? To today, maybe it's very apparent in other countries, but even in our own country, it's moving to become less tolerant of, of, of what we do, of what we believe. And Peter says, in the midst of that, do good. Love your enemies. Don't mistreat them back. And you see why? You see why? He says, so that they see this good and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, again, that's another weird phrase, isn't it? A slightly strange phrase that we wouldn't use ourselves. And there is a little bit of debate on the meaning, but I think the best way to understand it is to understand that to glorify God means to believe in him, to become a follower of Jesus, to put your trust in him. Uh, if you look at Romans 1.21, you see the opposite. Romans 1.21 says this, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him. Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So you see, that's the opposite. They didn't believe in God, they don't trust him, they don't glorify him. That's what it says. So the opposite, if they do glorify him, they are believing in him, they're following him, they're trusting in Jesus. So that when he returns, that day he visits, it says, they will praise him because they'll be believers themselves. So do you see? Do you see what this passage is saying? It's saying that actually the good works we do can be used by God to help people understand the gospel. And that's a really good reason to be doing good uh, to those around us. Helping people understand what it means to believe. I guess it's important, isn't it, that, that, that what we look like on the outside, it represents what, what's going on. Here's one example. What do you think this... this uh, this person is passionate about what do you think he's kind of portraying as important any ideas any suggestions pardon England yeah he's a foot well I presume he's a football fan I think he's a football fan it's not just just England he wants the England football teams when he's so passionate he's got his face paints out he is right there shouting screaming in the crowd for England that, that's you know he's showing on the outside what's going on on the insides. What about this one? It's interesting, isn't it? Does <laughs> that feel, feel a, bit, a bit challenging for anyone? That our phones can sometimes, you know, what, do we, what, is it, what does how we use our phones say about our hearts? Do we care about the people in front of us? Are we more interested in what's going on on, on our screens as we scroll? So how, what, is, what does it look like how do we show that Jesus is important to us? What do we do? How do we show that we do good to others? I've seen this in action, actually. I've, uh, I knew a man back in, in Stevenage who was not a believer at the time. And he did know several Christians. And he just noticed there was something different about them. Their love, their generosity, it, it kind of it gripped him. And he came to church. He found out the truth. He became a Christian, became part of the church. It was wonderful. To see, you know, that, that just the normal lives of Christians in his life 
made that difference to him. So doing good is really important. It's a vital part of being his disciple, of following Jesus. It's how we show that he has changed us. And that's why both are in our mission statements. Both telling the gospel and doing good, they're both aspects of that. Because actually it's quite hard, isn't it, to get the balance right of those two things. Uh, There is a tendency, perhaps, to focus on one or the other. So it could be easy for us as a church to focus on telling the gospel. And, you know, we, we have a great message. We want to get it out there. We can become proud of the truth. And we've got this message we want to get across. And in the end, we focus so much on that, we kind of draw back from the community. And people around us just think, well, they're a bit proud, a bit distant, maybe a bit judgmental. Why would I want to hang around with people like that? And it's because we're, we're not showing that love to others. But if we do the opposite, if we, if, if we focus just on doing good, then it's great. We're involved in the community. We're focused on justice. We're focused on caring for people. We're doing lots of good. But actually what can happen is slowly the, the message of the gospel can just take a back seat, can just you know, step back a bit, and you slowly move away from the truth to just making sure that you please people. You focus on life now rather than the life to come. Now, can you see, neither of those is really where we want to be. We need to get that balance right. How do we get the balance right of those things? It's hard. You know, there's a famous quote by uh, St. Francis of Assisi. Maybe you've come across this. Preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. And at first glance, we read that, oh, yes. It seems so wise, doesn't it? It seems so wonderful. It seems like, this is a brilliant, brilliant thing for us to be doing. Surely that's what it is, isn't it? We preach the gospel. We show it with our actions. And maybe sometimes that's all that's needed. Well, I don't know if, if you're a fan of this, but I, I need to kind of give you two big problems that I've got with this, this statement. The first one is that actually there's no evidence that St. Francis of Assisi said this at all. Um, you can kind of cross his name out. None of his disciples, none of his writings, it's not written anywhere. And it turns out that actually he was a really passionate preacher. He knew the importance of words. And that's, that's really the problem with this, that it underplays the vital importance of our words. To say, if necessary, no, we've, got, we've got to be ready to use our words as well. Just doing good works on their own, it doesn't, it's not enough. Last, last time I spoke about telling the gospel and I read from Romans 10 where it says, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And we need to be ready. Do you see, with both, we do good. And then we have a reason to explain, this is why we're doing good. We have the truth. We want to share with them what it means to know Jesus. We've got to have both of those things. We, we can't just think, well, as long as I kind of do good things, people might, might be saved. We want to be ready, prepared to make the most of every opportunity that comes our way. We need to use words. It's right there in this passage. That's why we read from chapter nine. Sorry, from verse nine of chapter two, because it talks about being a chosen people, God's special possession. We belong to God. Why? He called you out of darkness that you may declare the praises of Him. You may declare His goodness. You may preach the gospel, share the good news, and then He goes on in verse twelve to talk about doing good. So you see, even Peter's, we've got to have that balance. Both things are important. They work together. They strengthen each other. We back up our words by showing that we believe them. And we show that we believe them by doing good. 
And then we back up our good works by explaining the truth that leads us to do them. That's how it works. We need both of those things together. We've got to remember that. And actually, with that in mind, we've also got to remember that our good works are not to do with how we are saved. We mustn't fall into that kind of mindset. It's so easy to do, isn't it? To, to kind of feel like that. I was listening to an interview this week with a, Malaysia, a Malaysian-English comedian. And he went to school in Borneo. And it was pretty tough. It was pretty tough. Apparently, some of the teachers there would cane you based on how far away you were from 90% on your test. Right? 90%. How, I don't know about you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want that as my standard, would you? You've got 85%. You think, great, no, that's five lashes of the cane. Oh, that's, that's very harsh, isn't it? That's very harsh. I was shocked when I heard this story. But I wonder if sometimes we feel that that's a little bit like what God's like, isn't it? That we've, we've just got to, to do lots of good things. We must try and impress him. Otherwise, he's just going to be angry with me and disappointed. We must not fall into that trap because that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that's not how it works because we are saved when we put our faith in Jesus. It's nothing to do with whether we deserve it because we don't. We cannot. We are saved by Jesus alone. We are saved by grace alone. And the amazing thing is that means we meet God's standard because when we trust in Jesus, we are given his perfection, his righteousness. So I wonder if it's helpful to understand it a bit like a tree. You've got the kind of the roots and the trunk. You've got that, that core. The important thing is remembering that we are saved by Jesus. He's the one who gives us strength. He's the one who gives us life. But then the fruit, the fruit that we bear through God's work in our lives, both our words and our deeds, both of them together, that, that's, that's fruit that Jesus enables us to do through his spirit. But it's fruit. It's, it's kind of the outcome of that. It's not the, it, it doesn't earn our salvation in the first place. Maybe if you're not a believer here today, maybe you've just always felt like that's how it worked. That you've always had to try and earn your salvation somehow by doing good things. Maybe you think, actually, I'm doing all right. I'm doing more good than bad. And isn't God's job, to, isn't God's job just to kind of let me into heaven? That's not how it works. We must come to Jesus. We must be forgiven. So if that's you, if that's, that's where you're thinking at the minute, then please come and speak to me. Come and find out more about the gospel of grace. But hopefully you see, don't you, that, that doing good, this is why it's there in our mission statements. It's not an optional extra for really keen Christians. It's something we should all be doing in response to being changed. It's a bit like, uh, I remember at school there were some things I could choose. Like I could choose what pencil case to take, what bag to take. Uh, you know, all of those things. You can choose certain things to take, can't you? But everyone is wearing the same school uniform. You don't get a choice about that. Everyone wears the school uniform. And it's a bit like that with, with this. You don't, they're not optional lectures that you should choose to do. Telling the gospel and doing good, that's kind of the, the, the uniform of a Christian. That's what we, we're all to do those things. It's challenging, isn't it? Because we live in a town, I think I mentioned this before, that that's one of my initial kind of perspectives on the, on the town, is that it's a place that does a lot of good already. There are lots of people loving others, serving others in the community. And we think, well, how, how are we going to stand out as a church when there's lots happening already without us? 
Well, I wonder if it's helpful perhaps for us to consider motive. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer and you're doing good to help others, you're probably doing it for two reasons, I reckon. Either to make yourself feel better and ultimately you're doing it for your own kind of pride, your own gain. Or you're doing it genuinely because you care for others. But you're kind of thinking, well, this life is all there is. I've got to help people now because they've got to have a good life now. That, that, that's their only hope. That's not why we do good, is it? We want to do good so that people see and hear the truth that actually there's, there's something far bigger, far greater than this life. The joy of knowing Jesus, the joy of eternal life, life forever with him. That's a big difference in motive, isn't it, in our hearts. And I wonder if that maybe could lead us to being more radical, more generous with our good, our, our good works. That, that does make us stand out. We have an important message to share too. That makes us stand out. We are there. We should be known for doing good. But this passage goes on. It, it doesn't just stop there. Actually, it helps us think practically about what it means to do good works. There are three helpful pointers, I think, here uh, in this chapter. And here's the first one. Don't give in to sin. Don't give in to sin. That's there in verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Foreigners and exiles. That means we don't belong here. We belong with Jesus. So we shouldn't be following the ways of the world. We should be abstaining, stopping them, not, not giving into them anymore. Maybe you, you knew of the uh, Christian evangelist and preacher, uh, Ravi Zacharias. He was a well-known uh, guy in America. He died in 2021. And when he died, many people spoke highly of him. He was praised for his integrity. And sadly, after his death, it came out that he had been involved in sexual morality and abuse for a long time and had basically used his faith to cover it up uh, and use his position to get away with it. And there's this huge damage done to the gospel because he was not fighting his sinful desires. He wasn't, he, he was hiding them. That's a challenge though, isn't it? Because if people know that we are believers, they watch how we live. They watch us. They see if actually what we do backs up what we say. They see our anger. They see our drunkenness. They see our lust and our pride and our jealousy. They see, or they see us. And sometimes that can leave people doubting God's power. That's why we are called to fight our sin. We're called to battle it. Now we have to accept, don't we, that we are not perfect. And that is part of our message. That's the core of the gospel is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we have to explain that perhaps to, to the world around us that it's not like we're, we're, we're better than everyone else. We're in the same boat. We have that same need. We needed to be saved ourselves. But actually after that, from that point, God gives us the power to resist it, to fight, not to, not to hide our struggles away, but to, to confess our sin, to, to work together, to grow. That's what we are called to do. That's what to not just give in to sin, to be confessing, to be seeking help and encouragement from each other. If that's you today, struggling about something that no one else knows about, let me encourage you. It's part of doing good is to bring that into the light. 
To confess that to God, to confess it to someone you trust who can help you. Because you see, hidden sin leads to these horrible situations. We're called to not give in to sin. God can help us do that by his spirit. Secondly, do you see, we're called to obey the authorities. Look at verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. I don't know how you feel about the authorities, uh, as it's called here. Paul says it in Romans 13, verse 1, he says this, the authorities that exist have been established by God. So an amazing perspective perhaps for us to have, isn't it? That, that God puts authorities in place for good. It may not always feel like that to us. And, and actually some nations do face brutal regimes because we live in a, a fallen world that, that sin affects deeply. But on the most part, on the most part, you see, don't we, that it's for our good to obey the authorities that, that God has put in place. It's a good thing for us to obey the laws of the land. They help us live peacefully with with others. They're good things for us to obey. It's good for us to obey the laws of the road rather than testing them and, ah, 10 miles an hour over the speed limit's not so bad, is it? 20 miles an hour? Where, Where do you draw the line? We have these laws of the road to keep people safe, to protect others. It's never good, is it, if you see one of those cars with a fish badge on the back whiz past in the outside lane at you know, 100 miles an hour, boom, you think, that's not, if that person's a Christian, is that, are they setting a good example? You think, well, that's why I don't have a, a fish badge on my car. But uh, <laughs> maybe you should put it on, maybe that'll make you drive more carefully. <laughs> in schools, I know you've just, young people, you've just finished school for the, for the summer, but think about it, teachers are there for your good and you're called to respect the authority that they have not to challenge them but to listen to your teachers to trust that they have your, your good and your best interests at heart and it's there at home as well God gives parents authority for good now I'm sure that's hard if you're a teenager thinking oh my parents don't know what it's like you've got to trust them trust that they, they are loving you trust that they're working for your good it's challenging, isn't it? It's probably easy for us to moan about the state of politics and the state of the laws. Maybe we need to think, what can I be positive about? How can I be thankful? How can I want to obey these things, even when it's hard? And of course, actually, there is, of course, that line which we must not cross, where if the, the, the laws are calling us to, to go into sin, calling us to not follow God, that's when we resist, that's when we stop and follow Jesus. But on the most part, we can say, yeah, I can obey these authorities. I can see there's good there. And then lastly, verse 16, use your freedom wisely. Use your freedom wisely. Verse 16, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. At school, when I was in sick form, uh, we had free periods where you don't have a lesson. Well, actually, the thing is, they weren't called free periods. They were called study periods. And we were supposed to go to the library or go to a dining hall and study in those times, you know, use them to, 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 to improve in the subjects we were studying. I'll be honest, that's not what I, me and my friends did. 
we would be messing around, we would be playing games. And we'd kind of have work open, so we could pretend we were working, we could kind of cover it up, that we were just messing around, we were playing, playing games on our phones and all that sort of thing. We were using our freedom for foolishness. It's perhaps worse, isn't it, if you're covering up evil. You know, it happens, doesn't it, more often perhaps than we'd like, when people who have been in prison are set free, only to go and do what they did before, kind of fall into the same patterns. Surely we think we've got, it's got to be different, hasn't it, for us and the gospel. That is the amazing reality of the gospel, isn't it? That we have been set free. We are loved by God. We are his children. We're forgiven of our sin. We are set free from slavery to sin. So what do we do? Do we just keep on sinning and kind of pretend that we're doing okay, but just sweep it all under the carpet? No. We must not do that. See what it says here? We're, we're to live as God's slaves. That's our choice. Now I know that's a, a word that has huge negative meaning for good reason. But to be God's slave, that's not a bad thing. Remember earlier in, the, in our mission statement, it says we are to worship God. We're to commit our lives to him completely. It's our right response to basically to be his slaves, to live for him. He has saved us. So that's what it means to use our freedom wisely, to serve God, to to tell the gospel, to do good. We use our freedom for the benefit of others rather than the benefit of ourselves. Rather than spending time and money on our own pursuits, we love others. We, We invest in serving them. We do good. We don't just say, oh, I'll pray for you, like that example at the start. We, we live it out. We do practical things to show God's love. We serve those around us. We, we seek the good of our town, the good of our, our, our country. We want to be there for others, to live like Christ. Look at, look at the gospel. Look at how Jesus loved people and was there for people. We strive to be like that and to strive to, to help people who need justice. Actually, there, there are a couple of opportunities I can mention uh, today, I, I was speaking with Compassionate Kenilworth uh, this week. They're a charity that do good in the town, but in particular they, they're involved in helping at the um, Ramada Hotel where the refugees uh, are placed, where the Azimi family were. And there are a couple of opportunities they're looking for at the minute for, for help. They need someone to help kind of coordinate their clothing service so that newcomers can be kitted out with, with the clothes that they need. They're looking for help with a, a smaller group, which can respond really quickly when someone needs something essential, particularly uh, the ladies that are in the hotel there. So if you think, do you know what, I've got time for this, or you think, maybe I could make time for this, then come and speak to me. I, I can put you in touch with the lady who's running this, who, who asked me to pass on those requests for help. There are things we can do in our town to do good. What are your gifts? How might you be able to to use them for good? How can we use our gifts as a church together? What should it look like for us to do good together as a church family? We need to consider those things. I don't have all the answers, but maybe you've got some ideas. So I hope that's been a helpful end to this series. It's a challenging one, isn't it? It, it Maybe it's a particularly big area for growth for us as a church. And it's good to remember, isn't it, that despite the times where we are hypocrites and we say one thing and we do another because we're sinful and we will, 
We are loved by God. We are saved by grace. That's the message we want to share with people. And we have the Holy Spirit who will help us grow to be less hypocritical. Who will help us get that balance of telling the gospel and doing good. We need both, don't we, to to give glory to God. Let me pray. Father God, thank you that you are a good God. And would you help us to to take this passage to heart, to see the importance of, of doing good as a church. Would you help us know where we should do that, how we should do that best? And would you help us do that with the balance of telling the gospel, where we, we have such a, a vital message that people need to hear too. Give us wisdom to know how we do those things together for your glory. Please, Lord, would you help us, would you empower us to live for you? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, hold on. <laughs>